0: Hey everybody, welcome back to Freepcast. My name is Rob Murray. I'm your host. Freepcast is brought to you by the Free Press Media and recorded at the KMSU studios on the campus of Minnesota State University, Mankato. My guest today is uh, Pat Ryan and a lot of you probably know Pat. He's been around town a long time, knows a lot of people and he's a a really interesting and gregarious uh, gentleman. Um, Pat was born and raised in Rochester and uh, came to Mankato to go to college here and he's kind of never left. He's um, kind of an institution here in Mankato he's been uh, a teacher at West High School he's been a teacher at MSU he's uh written a lot of plays directed a lot of plays performed in a lot of plays uh he's written uh articles for magazines and books and he's just done a lot of things that make him really really interesting and uh like I said um When I uh, put this podcast together, he was one of the guys I wanted to bring in here, and uh, he didn't disappoint. He was a really interesting conversation, and I think you're going to like it. So let's just get right to Pat Ryan. Okay, so it gives me great pleasure today to welcome Pat Ryan to Freebcast. Hey, Pat.
1: Yeah. Great being here.
0: How's it going? Great. So you're a guy that always has about 20 irons in the fire. What do you What do you got going right now today? Uh,
1: well, I've got a book coming out in. Uh, Blake Haina is the publisher, and uh, there's a caveat there in that he just had a heart attack. Oh, and gosh. then after they went in to take a look at that, they f- found out that he's uh, got some cancer issues. So I call him about once a week, say, where are we at with that? Ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Tim Lind. Thanks, Tim.
0: For listeners, we just had Tim bring coffee for Pat. Yeah. Tim Lind, the famous Tim Lind. Thanks, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <That's laughs> He's great. a jack of all trades here. <laughs> uh, anyway, go ahead.
1: So, that is a young YA called uh, I Didn't Put Honey in the Soap Dispenser. And the lead character is a young hockey player woman from uh, northern Minnesota. And Then Honey in the Soap Dispenser was part of the character development of her and her friend, whose name is Jojo the Monkey Boy. And the first part of the book, she gets called to the office because someone has broken into the kitchen and taken all the labels off the uh, canned goods. And that's what she and her uh, compatriot, that's what they do. They like practical jokes. And so that's part of the book to appeal to that. Junior high age, uh, and she's not a mean girl, or she's, but they do like their fun, so that's part of it. And mm-hmm. then she's also a hockey player, and uh, her sister has uh, sled dogs. So it's Grand Rapids, part of Minnesota.
0: Do you have any hockey background, Pat? Did you play hockey when you were a kid?
1: I did not. I played after uh, uh, I didn't start playing till I was forty years old <laughs> in the C League. <laughs> And that's, yeah, that's exactly that's what it was That's interesting. That's uh, exactly what it was like. Difficult
0: to pick that up at 40, I would think.
1: Right. Well, I played basketball in high school and, you know, after, but uh, I noticed that my reflexes just weren't keeping up. But so I thought, well, I'm going to try this hockey thing, C League. No contact, sort of, and uh, it was kind of fun because the learning curve kind of reversed and I was able to learn things mm-hmm. and learn how to stop besides running into people. That's a key. <laughs>
0: That's a key part of hockey, being yeah, able to stop. stopping. So
1: that was fun. And then, of course, the guys that I played with, uh, a guy named Don Waylett, who's uh, got an interesting story too about hockey, but he, uh, he would say, Pat, just go over there. To the crease, put your stick down. All right, got it. And then, of course, the puck would hit my stick and go in the net. <laughs> Occasionally, you know? as long as I didn't try to do something, I was good. Was Easy way of... to
0: score goals: just stand there.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well,
0: about the other guys do the work?
1: I had to angle it correctly. Sure, sure. So, yeah. So, and it was just uh, really a lot of a lot of fun mm-hmm. with because uh, you had the guys who uh, and you you know those guys they're. Uh, they they didn't play well. They played a little hockey, but they get kind of over the top when they play, and they realize, hey, we're having fun out here. Don't forget that. So,
0: boys will be boys, Pat. <laughs> as you, as, as you that's know, that's a great that's a great
1: description. I mean, they <laughs> they all turn they all turn into boys, don't they? Yeah, they get penalties. Like, what are you kidding? <laughs> Come on, you know. But um,
0: uh, so I saw. I so you have this. This this uh, book going? You just wrote, wrote yeah. the book, and then I saw you the other day. You were in in the building here when we were we were we were supposed to do this. I yes, think a few yeah. weeks ago, right? And, and you were had just come from the simulation center yeah, across correct. the street here. Yes,
1: and that's the uh, Minnesota State Nursing Department's simulation center, which is up on the second floor. So They virtually have a hospital on that second floor, and then uh, the simulations they. I'm, my job is to bring actors, you know, hire, call them up. I don't contractually hire them, but then they come in and then they provide the human component of the simulations. Uh, tomorrow we have a simulation. I can't give you all the details, but I've got two actors, uh, Tim Barry and Jim Siasis, and they're coming in and they're playing dementia patients. Oh. And so they're in a, a, a room and there's a... a it's a TV studio with uh, four or five remote cameras, and then they bring in um, people who work at memory care units, and then they these guys go through uh, the actions, their interpretation of the actions of dementia folks, and yeah.
0: And your job is to line up all the actors to come.
1: Right. I don't really direct. I, I said the other day, I said, I think the closest I can get to what I do is I'm like a stage manager. I give them a call the night before, give them the time, meet them at the uh, parking lot, bring them up. And, of course, they've been doing enough of them now, so they, uh, they know. The last group, uh, Cindy Olson, is also one of the actresses. They each put in 40 hours, you know, so... And so uh, they've had quite a bit of work. Then another one that they do there is they have an OB area with a uh, a simulator or a, they don't call them dummies, but a mannequin, high-tech mannequin that they paid uh, a heap of money for. It's from Norway. And then that s- simulator can provide the situations that may occur in childbirth with oh. the mother, uh... I did one where they uh, tripped a, a reaction from the uh, simulator that the mother was having a <clears throat> seizure. So then I, I was the proposed grandfather in the scenario. And then I looked at this student nurse across and realized that she was certainly getting it and I was too. It was pretty, pretty dramatic. Hmm. In terms of the uh, the action itself,
0: so have they always used? I mean, I, don't, I mean, just uh, uh, briefly, have they always used like actors to help train uh, train nurses? That, no, they you know? they've,
1: they've tried a few other things, including students. Okay. And, uh, students in the nursing department, as well as other students, and what they find is that they have a really hard time holding character yeah. and you know saying, "Hey, like I had to." Uh, I was in one scenario where the providers were there and they were laughing and it wasn't a humorous situation so as the actor i was able to say uh, as the grandfather is there something funny here i'm i'm missing something mm-hmm. and then you know they have to go no no so
0: so what's is it's all improv
1: right a- improv and then uh,
0: i mean the, must, must be a loose scenario you yes. told you have to work yes work they within. give a
1: scenario then we have to follow the follow the script, so to speak. And I I got one issue I had was we were in an end-of-life scenario. Uh, Noelle Lawton was playing the patient who was dying, and we were, uh, I was her brother, and all members of the family were there. And then at one point, the uh, caregiver said, well, you know, you could go down to the chapel and, and pray. And then I had I chose to say, well, I, I'm not a Christian, and then the, the room kind of got still because uh, that was, well, it wasn't in my script, <laughs> oh. <laughs> but I couldn't help it, <laughs> you know, because it's a presumed, if you presume everybody's Christian, you're going to run into some issues. Yeah. You know? And then one of them, uh, in, I think in that one, the, uh, the significant other was a female so I thought, well, you know, there, um, there's a politically correct term for that, but anyway, they weren't your traditional couple. Yeah. So,
0: well, they're going to encounter that wherever they they work probably. So it's probably good that they, uh, yeah, go through your simulations. Um, okay, so Pat, I don't know where you where you came from. Are you from the Mankato area? Rochester or are originally.
1: Rochester what? went to Rochester Lourdes High School.
0: Okay, <laughs> what's the best Rochester High School? Is it is it Lords? Is it Century? Uh, is it John Marshall?
1: Well, that's Apples and Oranges. My brother went to John Marshall because he got kicked out of Lourdes. Most of my buddies in Lourdes were kicked out of Lourdes and ended up at John
0: Marshall. Why is it Apples and Oranges? W- why is that what? Why is it Apples and Oranges? Are they just so different?
1: Uh, well, it, yeah, I mean, I haven't experienced public high school. But, oh, is it a Catholic school? Yeah, i was, I was oh, sorry. Oh, Lourdes okay. is a Catholic okay, school. Okay, I didn't yeah. know that. All so, right. Yeah. I went yeah, to Catholic school, too. Oh did you?
0: <laughs> I, I didn't yeah, get kicked out. I, I left so I grateful. left voluntarily, but I am
1: so grateful <laughs> now to uh, have gone through that. I I I describe Going my, through that? Yeah, I describe myself as a free range Catholic, which kinda shakes people up sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you mean? That's well, I go to any church I want, you know, so and uh I, I perhaps should have been a religious anthropologist because I am so curious about different belief systems. Yeah. And I mean Native American and, you know, uh, Protestant, Catholic, all that stuff. So
0: So you said you're, you had a few buddies who got kicked out.
1: Uh, no, I didn't get kicked out. My you had, buddy, no, you had a few buddies who got kicked out. Yeah.
0: How yeah. close did you get to getting kicked um,
1: out? I, no, I don't think I got close. Okay. Uh, right. I had a little trouble with attendance, but <laughs> but other than that, I was fine. Okay, because you know? I'm I'm thinking back of why my buddies got kicked out. Uh one of them was the uh, guy made a ter- derogatory comment to the priest uh, about his uh, sexual preference, and that's what got him thrown out. And of course, he became the flagship for uh, pedophilia. pedophilia and oh gosh, really? So, yeah, this yeah the the guy <laughs> that was,
0: I mean not was, not funny, but yeah
1: it was, yeah we can't figure out he's still like in the Archery area and it was grievous, and they did all that moving him around stuff. Oh so. man, yeah it's bad. So.
0: I, I was not laughing because of pedophilia. I'm laughing because of <laughs> is the yeah. guy that had that. Well, that I had, had for a priest.
1: I had uh, it was one of them. Buddies, I had a lot of street sense that kind of helped me out. I think uh, because then I was not a victim, but I my classmates were victims. But we digress, I mm. suppose. So,
0: so you, uh, at some point, came to Mankato. Um, yes, you just yeah. came to go to go I to went school to university,
1: here. University of Minnesota for two years, uh, and then uh, I. I took a class from, Whiting was the name of the professor, and it was a a theater class. And I got an A in it because I liked it. And then it was from there that I made the next step to acting and all that. Mm -hmm. And then I came to MSU because the undergrads get more work. You can audition and get a part. And up there, it's all grad students. Oh, okay. And that was my departure and. The next step with uh, mentoring from uh, Ron Lawson and uh, Ted Paul. And it was a wonderful experience that way. So I got some parts and started to learn from the inside. And then
0: here I am. I'm still do- doing this. It's like a drug. So you worked with uh, the legendary Ted Paul. Sorry? You You worked under the legendary Ted Paul?
1: Yes. He was awesome. I mean, he just was so great. Really, really got a great demeanor, great sense of humor, um, and a lot of fun to work with too. So, bright guy, yeah. You know, so, mm-hmm. and then Ronald Lawson too was my advisor. Did my master's at Minnesota State, and that was uh, my master's was based on my work that I did in Northern Ireland. I was a <clears throat> volunteer for Belfast Voluntary Service, and then Ron and his wife, Marsha, helped me with my uh, my dissertation, and uh, and uh, the rest is history, I guess, so yeah. And my dissertation was about my experience, like I said, in Belfast, and it was it's a wonderful learning experience.
0: So you have a PhD? Uh,
1: no, that's a master's, oh, okay. so I got master's my master's, yeah. Okay. Um, Oh, my thesis. Thesis, yeah, okay. Sorry, words next? So. And that was um, most, if one were to look back, you can kind of see a link between different um, projects that I've had or been a part of. So, uh, so what
0: kind of college student were you? Were you a, I can I can see you being a party animal. Is that, <laughs> is that, uh, <laughs> would that be an accurate description?
1: Well, the theater experiences, uh, especially with a guy like Ron Lawson, there are no slouches there, I mean, highly principled and highly okay. disciplined and so that and I I, I was uh, uh, I'm an alcoholic and uh, during that period I was in some heavy drinking but it's interesting for me because I never drank when I was performing and that's because it's it's just too difficult I, I don't know how those people do it, it to me acting is like riding a motorcycle and you know, you just wouldn't use substance riding motorcycles. Same with acting. I would just use all my mental capabilities when I had a role and and it didn't have to be a big role, but it's just coming at you, uh, hyper speed and you have to be ready. People dropping lines or, you know, so it's exciting.
0: (laughs) So I didn't know that you were an alcoholic until you came in here today to do this podcast. And so, um, do do you mind if I, no, that's fine. Probe that a little bit. Where no. where did that where did your problem start?
1: Uh, well, I started using when I was, you know, fifteen years old. You uh, know, I was at a Catholic school, and I still remember that there were very few of us that experimented with a- alcohol at that time. So, and that was kind of the beginning. I come from an Irish American family, and you know, it's it's riddled. My uh, brother's a recovering alcoholic. My mother was before she passed, and then. So it's all the way through our uh, heritage, and I remember I was in Western Ireland. I was traveling around over there, and I it was a bay, so I could look back at the waterfront, and there were fourteen, kind fourteen pubs in a row, one right after the other. And I thought, Phew. so um, I wasn't drinking at that time, which is uh, probably a good thing. So, but it kind of, if you're in an Irish American family, it kind of follows you everywhere, you know. So. Hmm. and i went through treatment in uh i was teaching ha- had an intervention and i went to uh i chose to go to a treatment center and so i went and so where know, where were you teaching at the time i was at north manchester junior high back in 71 uh, maybe no earlier than that
0: 70 so. what what prompted the intervention was there were you um uh, was it affecting your work or anything i was not
1: no I had had a uh, DWI like two years before, but um, so I had to be mindful of that. and then i uh, I was uh, introduced to you know uh, some twelve step programs, and then eventually, I came in through I was going to a program uh, for um, families, families of alcoholics. and then through that, I started to take a look at my own behavior, my own using, using, and then that's what led to me going into treatment. So,
0: was yeah. it an inpatient treatment thing or
1: uh, Twin Town Treatment Center in in Saint Paul? So it's an, a residential treatment center. Okay, and you go in, and then every day you're having two or three different sessions in a group, yeah, like you know that you see on television, you know, so.
0: It's- so when you were in college, how were you an alcoholic by that time?
1: Yeah, full-fledged, you know. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Occasionally, if I want to know what it was like, I can go downtown on a Thursday night. You know. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I was down there. Uh, I was supposed to meet someone. I was at a, a bar downtown, and I, I had my Carhartt coat on and i was standing at the bar and not drinking and this young guy c- came uh, running into me like what's going on here and and he was trying to provoke a fight you know and i was like what you know i'm at that time i was 50 years old you know what's what's going on so i i got real loud uh you know confronted him and then to let the b- bouncer know hey i you know just <laughs> get over and get and then uh a much bigger guy came up behind him and then he came in and he said what's the problem as if i were the problem then he assessed it realizing i was old enough to be his father and then he you know told his buddy hey you know you need to find a different victim yeah. you know, so so yeah it can happen you know yeah.
0: so. um so tell me about your time um at West High School you taught there for a long time
1: Uh, I taught junior high for five or six years and then I uh took the job at West because that included directing plays Mm -hmm. and so uh uh, Merv Overton the Merv Overton uh interviewed me and uh in that interview we started talking about boxing a little bit because he was a boxer and I don't know if that's what locked up the interview or not but uh I was able to get along with him all right, and he was the kind of alpha boss, but a great guy, really. You know, there, there was no doubt in respect to um, human relations. <laughs> <So> <laughs> he was perfect for me. So then okay. I worked uh, at West for several years, and that was, uh, that was some of the most rewarding work I've done because of the students that I worked with in acting.
0: So you was, did you teach English? Yeah, or? I taught
1: okay. uh, speech and theater and... Uh, Creative writing, okay. which is kind of an oxymoron, I think, creative writing. <laughs> Terry Davis was helpful in, with that, meaning, well, you, you just go in and tell them what you know, and yeah. of course, most of the time with writing, I don't think I know anything, but that's the problem. That's when I used the phrase, the inner critic is always wrong, <laughs> <laughs> because that's the way it is for me, self-doubt and all that business. So, so
0: you taught theater and speech, like speech, like the class or yeah, the speech, speech team,
1: speech class, uh, and they would go on to the speech team at Crystal okay. Lindahl she coached them. I didn't do much of that. Okay. I would help, but um, yeah, I just preferred the. It was called oral communications and basic okay. one hundred and one, you know, speech. So. And you
0: and you taught theater, and you did you direct the, the yeah, the I directed several theater?
1: plays, and okay. I was there maybe ten to fifteen plays. Okay. Those were. A lot of fun you know and for teaching that those were the moments that meant the most to me because I got to work like coaches got to work with the students one-on-one in a you know not the classroom situation and I mean I just had some brilliant kids actors you know Uh, uh, Becky Poole who's she's doing uh, work in California Zila Langshan who is now Zila Glory and we just had her
0: sister in on the oh, podcast a couple of weeks yeah, ago. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. So uh, Zila, who was in, um, oh, the, uh, it's the film about uh, Still Alice was the name of the film. Okay. And Zila is, is in that show, in that film, and she's had some other work, you know. And and I directed her after she got out of school in a play that I wrote called Dark, and she came in. We got an equity release to get her to come in, and it was just a uh, short stay, like th- three three performances. And you have to be careful in terms of authenticity because, I say, we did it at Minnesota State University, but we were not in the theater department. We did it over at the student union. Okay. So. But that was really rewarding. She's just brilliant. She's just yeah. uh, absolutely brilliant. And then my wife and I have... On a few occasions, gone to see her in work around the country. It's mm-hmm. it's really great to see that level of performance that these people have put together. Mike Lagerquist was a, a former student of mine, and mm-hmm. and did shows, mm-hmm. and you know he's still mixing it up that way. So yeah, it's great. So I I you know I had a, so many great uh, people in 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 respect to those plays that when i hear they're doing a show i go and see it mm-hmm. and yeah that's a, a fun part part of to to live one's life
0: um while you were at west um you worked with uh our uh, mutual friend tim walls yes got to know tim pretty well <laughs> yeah I you got any <laughs> you got any dirt on the governor you can share with us
1: oh man i had a uh, a friend of mine that I worked with in the uh, upper peninsula Michigan came out because my son's a fishing guide, and he he's teaching uh, principal in, in Delaware, and he came out, and I I uh, made a deal with my son, and I paid for his trip and all that. And my son said, well, who, who is this guy? I said, well, it's Chuck Hughes. And, well, what's the deal on him? I said, the person I can tell you that he was most like would be Tim Walls," And that's the side that I don't know if people realize that he's – He is uh, just goofing around all the time. And then the fact that he's managed to get through it without someone uh, taking umbrage with his behavior. But I would love to get into the, uh, and I've been to his office when he was in D.C. Because what happens with Tim is it's not long and he's kind of taken the, profile the vertical scale of life in general just brought it right down so he'd be hanging out with the janitors and you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and so uh, I, I saw that happen and yeah he's he's a lot of fun and he's he's just so much smarter than people give him credit for you know and i think you probably know that yeah. too so and he'll, he'll get it all figured out you know so uh i'm curious what he's how he's going to deal with the boundary waters canoe area because uh i have my son and my daughter daughter-in-law are big You know, BWCA people, as am I, I haven't done it for a while. But I may have to lose my life on that hill, I think. You know how they say, you know, don't lose your life on that hill. Mm -hmm. And, uh, like, I stayed away from the Standing Rock issue uh, with the pipeline out there, and I did so because I thought, oh, I'll be thrown in jail for sure. So uh, I have to kind of weigh my battles. But the BWCA one, I think, and I think it could get really rolling, my son and I were talking about because they did uh, uh, Trampled by Turtles did a show uh, up in uh, Duluth and it was designated as a BWCA Save uh, promotional, and I said, "Yeah, they they could get thousands of people on bicycles, you know, as part of the rally rallies." He said, "Yeah, what a what a change! to white middle class folks protesting, you know." So. Yeah, it's, I mean, he went through the fight once to keep it, and so I don't know uh, what will happen there. But I think uh, Governor Walls will be figuring that out because he lost his brother up there. He lost his brother, uh, and his uh, nephew got hurt, too. But it was a Boundary Waters canoe trip, and they had a storm, and the tree fell on the tent you know the nightmare for everybody else and it, it killed his brother who was a teacher over in uh, Chatfield mm-hmm. so there's a some ownership there too so
0: so once again do you have any dirt on the governor that you can share Sorry? with us do you have any dirt on the governor you can share uh, with us uh, on him yeah yeah I
1: do actually well
0: let's let's hear it we want to break well, some news here
1: I was uh I wasn't always compliant in the system of the district and uh The principal John Barnett said, "Well, we've got these photo IDs, and we want you to wear them, you know, every day." And I thought, "Well, really? That's a cognitive dissonance that happens to me. Like, so we're ID'd, but nobody else is. So, it's analogous to having, uh, you know, uh, Brad Pitt on the set and have an ID for him, but nobody else. So, but the principal uh, he was also felt the same way, you know, about the you know, like, hey, really? So I just complied, uh, Sometimes I rarely did, wore my ID every day, and, you know, all that stuff. So I'm in my uh, office, and I get a t- uh, an email from uh, the superintendent, Ed Waltman, as well, we have information, at least just believe you're not wearing your identification tag. And I thought, wait a minute, you know, that's not right. <laughs> so I, I sent the reply back, and, um, and I got nothing back, you know, so... Then I saw uh, Tim Walls in the hallway, and I said, "Yeah, I just got an email from, uh, and Tim had his ID on." I said, "I just got an email from the superintendent asking me about why I'm not wearing my ID tag." And Tim says, "So what'd you do? Well, I just, you know, hit reply and sent it back to him, you know." And he went, "You what?" I said, "Yeah, I, I uh, sent it. I, I sent it back." And then he said, "Oh," and I said, "What's the problem?" He says, "Well, I sent that out." you know he sent it out then uh they started to uh get some drama with that because that would be a grievous problem in terms of security within the system so then tim did but he does well he went immediately to the av guys and said hey i you know i don't know what's going on here and then he then he also so was it a
0: on, was it a practical joke? He was just yeah,
1: to, that was this little joke on me. How did he? Yeah, so then say an a, email but then he also confronted me and says, "I know what you're trying to do. You're trying to get me in trouble." I said, "Hey, I'm just <laughs> i I sent it back, uh, and then I found my email for it. He was outside the system somehow. So I, anyway, long story short, he got his AV guys to get in and you know slow down the angst that they had about internal security mm-hmm. and so. But, uh, yeah, th- there's more than one, but that's the only dirt they got on them right now. All right. So <laughs>
0: um, so I saw in our Free Press archives, uh, uh, you know, such as they are, that um, you retired at 55. And I'm wondering if that was an early retirement.
1: Yeah, I'm 71 now. So.
0: <clears throat> why didn't you go? Why didn't you quit teaching so oh, early? Oh, it's
1: just I had a buddy that sat down and sort of said are you out of your mind just get out you know when you have a pension i could i draw a pension oh, okay and, it was this okay yeah and then it's really um, that's unfortunately that's a defect with teachers the inability to process the numbers <laughs> you know <laughs> so they think well i can't go now because i wouldn't have the, the money to buy a new car and then um, i don't care if i get a new car so but that was wise then i didn't really of course retire i started I was teaching at MSU and okay. some adjunct stuff. And
0: well, and you've been really uh, active uh, just with your own uh, theater stuff. Um, yeah. I was going to ask you about Tony and Tina's Wedding. You've done at least two productions of Yeah, we're going to do that. it again.
1: We're do- <laughs> uh, Tim Berry is helping us with that. And we're going to do it again on Valentine's Day next year at the Cato Ballroom. Okay. And then I play a guy, uh, I play one of the servers out in the kitchen and yeah I I really enjoy that type of uh, improv that's the Renaissance Festival I I was there with Tom Hendricks for 12 years and so it was uh, I I enjoy that style of theater so
0: So what do you so it's not just you though I mean a lot of people like Tony and Tina's wedding what do you think it is about well the booze it's (laughs) I mean come on (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that would definitely be a draw for some. Um, well, it's not you know, for it's, you these days, obviously. It, but it's uh, a big
1: party, and uh, uh-huh. the booze helps with. It's very interactive. Is that is that yeah, what people like about it? Yeah, interactive okay. stuff. So, I saw the first Tony Antinas when they brought it into. Well, the first one was in New York, but when they brought it into Minneapolis, and it was, I, I just thought, oh, I would love to be in this show, mm-hmm. you know. So, uh, I get my chance out there.
0: Um, so let's talk about one thing that you've been very candid about um, um, both in in your writing and uh, with us, uh, the Free Press, we've written a few stories about this, is uh, you are battling Parkinson's disease. Right. Um, can you yeah, talk no, about-
1: Easy with the battling.
0: <laughs> What's that?
1: <laughs> well, the language <clears throat> that we use is part of- uh, it's how we communicate, obviously, but I I, I would hardly call it battling.
0: Okay, maybe <laughs> it's a bad I, uh, word choice, maybe. Yeah,
1: right. well, it's just part of the deal, though. When people hear I have it, you know, well,
0: it does sound like it's an ominous thing, and yes, it's a, yeah, it's a suffering you have to endure. Well, my
1: my neurologist said, well, you're not going to die from Parkinson's. She's been very helpful in kind mm-hmm. of amping it down, you okay. know. And that's the show that I did at, at the Fringe last year was uh, really helpful that way. And I just used. Uh, dialogue in it was dialogue I had heard. You know, my friends said, well, you know, you could get a job as a bartender. And, and you, uh, what's the other one they had for me? They had my vocation, they thought, could just be related to the fact I'd be shaking all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not shaking. I don't have that particular symptom right now. And so everybody that has Parkinson's, and that's Michael J. Fox in his book talks about that, Everybody's different. I know it's kind of a cliche but, and we know that from people that have heart, heart attacks or cancer or so. Parkinson's is really mysterious that way. Um, and then the way that I treat it is, uh, one of the things I did is I went to the, uh, kind of fit into my uh, love for boxing, is I went to the Uppercut Gym in North Minneapolis. And uh, I knew the woman that ran the gym. And in there, I was there on a Tuesday, and there were 40 people in there who were uh, going through boxing riggers to help them with the symptoms of Parkinson's. Now, my the same guys who make the remarks about bartending said, well, that seems kind of cruel. I mean, so I said, well, they don't spar, but they do, you know, they do uh, footwork and, mm-hmm. you know— uh, work the bag the big bag and the speed bags and all that so it was really uh, encouraging to see these folks and and it's also part of what the reality of it is is what i know i have to do is you just have to attack the the symptoms so you are
0: battling sorry so you are battling yeah you're attacking the symptoms (laughs) i was right all along
1: yeah i guess you're (laughs) right (laughs) battling so uh well, an example would be if I just have a few steps before I get into my house, and there will just be a second when I think, get this, do this, and then you just have to go push in and kind of activate your head a little bit more. So uh, I watched Michael J. Fox in an interview, and they said, well, you don't appear to have any symptoms right now. And it's an interview like we're in right now. And he said, well, I, my body just naturally reacts to uh, performing, And that's what happens. So, and that's the way it is for me also. It's, I, there's a kind of, you get into a a flow and you just have to, if I'm doing improv, I just dig in. You know, it's like doing a word puzzle or something. You have to press my brain that way. So, um,
0: so this hasn't slowed you down much at all then?
1: uh, Well, right now I'm in a little trouble (laughs) with my, with my gait. When I'm walking, it's uh, affecting, and, like in the past, I'd be walking with my wife and she couldn't keep up, and now I can't keep up with her. Okay. And then I had an issue with her, not her, but I had a, a symptom which is called festinating. And I was out walking with her and didn't have, sometimes I would bring poles. And I started walking and I couldn't slow down, I couldn't stop. I didn't have oh. the mechanism capable of moving up. So I, I went faster and faster and eventually face planted. And then I took that knowledge of, okay, what was it that started? And then I have to factor that into uh, I need to stop more often or whatever. So uh, I guess it is battling, but what I do by, <laughs> <laughs> what I, I do by battling is I go, no mas, you know, and I don't get off the, the bench and get out into the ring. Mm-hmm. So, But that works. And in this culture, I mean, there's so much, you know, we have elevators and, you know, so – uh, it's not a problem. I just walk slower.
0: So, so, tell me about the the one man play you did for the Fringe and uh, writing that. Yes, was it? Was it? What was it like as a writer? And you've been a writer since you were in high school, right? Um, right. What was it like using? Uh, you're writing about a vulnerability. You're writing about
1: autobiographically. I'm writing about my own situation.
0: It's a and it's a and it's a. Uh, a situation where your body's uh, failing in some way. Yes, and you're getting older, and things yep. are happening. Tell me about um, how it felt writing about something that's kind of personal and kind of vulnerable. Well,
1: we we did it first in Mankato, and so I had some experience uh, that it worked. I mean, that was obviously as a writer, it's, it's like, wow, well, is this just a you know vanity thing here? So we knew it worked. Then we. Uh, Kept what we liked, and then we had uh Stacy Kay, uh, and also uh, the the, I had two vocalists who worked with me, um, Hannah Cesario and Stacy Kay. And so we did the first show of Stacy Kay, and she's just just both of them are just beautiful voices. And then, like everything else in writing, uh, situations. Show up, and I I just incorporated them. One was uh, a anecdote I tell about being at a cab my cabin and watching in the middle of June a leaf fall, and I thought, well, that's a little odd, and yet I thought, well, no, you know, the leaves don't all fall at once, and so that's kind of what it's at with me with Parkinson's is that it's incremental in terms of how it's affecting me. So then she sang the autumn leaves, which was beautiful rendition of it and then um at the end of the show we used her and hana as well but i mean just one of them at a time and the the song was from um uh a film that i liked and the song was called um float on and there's by mighty mouse or some group and, I, and then they she sang that song and my wife came out at the end and then we danced off. And so it had that kind of, uh, I, it, it was an em- emotional appeal, but uh, it, it really worked, you know. And part of it was, <laughs> I said, well, there is the part where if people come to the show and then they think about it and then they go, well, she was great. <laughs> <laughs> so. Uh,
0: For listeners, uh, it was modest mouse. Right. And the song is Float yeah. On. And f- fun yeah. fact about that, when they came to play in Mankato, they did not play that song. It's their biggest hit, and they didn't play it.
1: Oh, sure. Anyway. Yeah. And then Becky Poole, I had talked about earlier, she was in uh, the film that that song was featured in, and that was the uh, the film about the young entrepreneur businesswoman. And unfortunately, they didn't run it again. It was on Netflix but uh, that, I really liked it, and Becky was in that movie as well. So and
0: so this, this uh, fringe performance, though, did you record this? Is there somewhere anybody can see this? I did this? not,
1: because I have, well, it's not some type of high moral principle, but video is not theater. And I right. had this kind of, and I, I mean, I wasn't, you know, it wasn't vanity that drove me to it. And the, the best part of that experience at the fringe was one night i looked out and i i couldn't see anybody in the audience then i looked and i finally said well there's one person out there so then (laughs) i turned to stacy k and i said well looks like there's only one person out there and she said well i guess you better get it done i mean she's just hardcore she's really fun that way yeah it's just such a pro and uh so we did that show that night and and I, I mean I just you kind of lock you just kind of lock in you know so uh it got done, and that that guy came walking up to me afterwards, and he said, you know how much he enjoyed it and uh, and then the next day on the internet was a review by that guy, and he just wrote this wonderful review and i I mean I read it and I and he got it. And I went oh. so, uh so <clears throat> just a lesson about you know performing and just have to keep keep on it so
0: so when you um were there that night and you looked out at the the crowd and you saw one one yeah. guy did did that impact the way you did the show I mean did it did it make it easier because you were performing for one specific person or was it harder because there was that's a great
1: question uh and that's what the that's what what happens is i just did it as well or the same as i did the night before and that's what i mean i didn't let it affect me
0: so the uh, i mean i I think most people would think oh only one person showed up and they would get anxiety about that did that happen to you no okay
1: well stacy helped with that okay So, uh, I mean, because the show itself has, you know, I mean, it's not, it's not, uh, I think George Bernard Shaw said, uh, you know, if if you're going to use a play as a message, don't use a telegraph. So, but I did have a higher thought in terms of trying to get, trying to get the uh, message across. So, um, that's what I kind of locked into with that. In the review, I can at some point I could send it to you. What the guy said was like, you know, I mean, I'm paraphrasing. I've got it
0: here. Actually, I was I, I was going to ask you about it because <laughs> um, in the article we, we ran about about this, uh, Diana, our writer, um, quoted the review. So I, I can read that part. Yeah. It says, "Spend an hour with Patrick, and he will share with you honesty, courage, and love." I saw this show at the end of a multi-show day, and it was like retreating into what theater is all about—a very pure human experience.
1: Isn't that great?
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> I uh, at home sometimes I just read it.
0: As kind that of... would be like the ideal thing someone would write after seeing. Yeah. Your performance, so.
1: Yeah, I read it as kind of a pick me up. So, and then you, because you're always wondering, well, are people getting this? And that guy, solid, they got it, you mm-hmm. know. So. The fringe is really competitive. I mean, uh, Travis Carpenter did, has done some shows up there, and his shows do really well. And it's it's different, but it's it's a uh, well, I had two hundred and fifty shows, and yeah. you know, so, uh, but we had a few people come to see it. So,
0: so I, uh, in that same article, Diana had reported that you used to be a stringer for Rolling Stone magazine. Oh yeah! <laughs> How did you get that gig?
1: Um, well, that's one of those things, you know, with one's resume. They always have to kind of say, "Well, I was on my way to Sturgis, South Dakota, to sell beer steins. I got the, um, I bought the logo or the rights to the logo, and I had uh, fourteen hundred beer steins, and I had them in a garage in Sturgis." And I was trying to think a way to complement this thing with the writing, and so I, I did a cold call to Rolling Stone magazine. I think I had the name of somebody. And then uh, he said, <laughs> yeah, we're interested, and we will pay you 50 bucks uh, for every piece you send us. So I was a stringer, meaning I didn't write the articles, but I sent the data, okay. and then their uh, writer did the story okay. uh, on the data that I sent them, and... That's what a stringer does, and that's what I did. So when that reads, I had a job application I was going for, and the guy confronted me on that piece, you know. (laughs) So I got it and said, "Here, you know, it doesn't say my name in it because I didn't write it, but it's just one of those things."
0: Looks pretty good on a resume, though. Yeah, I I I was impressed when I saw that. (laughs) Um, So you not so much anymore. You uh, brought in um, a portfolio of all the stuff that you've. um, yeah. kind of done over the years, and I, I didn't know you were going to bring this in. I'm so glad you did because yeah. this is really interesting. Um, and I wanted to just kind of go through, and if you, you can just say a few words about um, some of these things. Uh, this one is an article that says, Cato teachers have work to do if NASA calls. So what, right. what, what, what was that about? That was
1: about the Teacher in Space Program, and Don Kirchhoff's guy I worked with, he, he also applied. We applied for the Teacher in Space Program, and then I was uh, selected... For the uh, final interviews in the cities, so there were it went from uh, the Minnesota uh, people who applied down to ten, and then from there to uh, one that they took. This is to go to this is the space shuttle program with Chris McAuliffe. and oh, so this, yeah, is, it, the this is, she, is the one that she real deal, okay. yeah. So, and what NASA did, I mean, you kind of see they're trying to increase the impact of the program by spreading it out so they had how many thousand teachers apply and i knew from my research that it would be a woman okay you know i mean you just have to go well in in the flight if it had an african-american saxophone player and it was very diverse uh after the accident you could see what there was going on and it worked kind of in reverse order you know instead of the impact being really wonderful it was like oh my god so i had people calling me after that after the shuttle disaster aren't you glad you didn't go (laughs) i said well i didn't really have myself on that stage meaning i didn't think my chances were very good but just to get in the interview then i watched the whole process and the way like that's what it tells you about interviews that interviewers were trying to do the best they could to have someone who could fly the shuttle. you know say, "No, it's not about flying the shuttle, you know, and then anybody up there would have red hands, you know from people yeah. slapping them but uh but she was a great candidate uh, in terms of her what she wanted to do, which was she was writing a a diary and the things and number of you know that we've had. Uh, exhibition or not exhibitions, but we've had uh, excursions into the into the adventure and they write what happens and that's what she was going to do. Okay. So, yeah. <coughs> so so I, didn't really,
0: I, I didn't really have. <laughs> well, it's impressive anyway. It's impressive anyway. <laughs> um, the next thing in your book here is something called The New Wizard Oil Troupe, and it looks like you've got a, an old-timey horse drawn. Yes. Uh, almost like the Wizard of Oz right. guy. yeah. Um, who goes town to town with kind of a a sideshow. And it looks like that's what you did. Can you talk about that a little bit? Right.
1: I I did, uh, when I was in Ireland, I went on a excursion with some of my coworkers, and we rented a caravan, horse-drawn caravan, gypsy wagon, and then we went from town to town with the horses, and then we would come in, they would take care of the horses, and then we would, you know, stay the night. Then... I thought, wow, isn't it wonderful to be able to do this with theater? And then I started doing some research and stumbled on the medicine show idea. And then I started to develop uh, a plan. And then uh, Don Watson and I applied for a Dayton Hudson uh, grant. And and we were recipients of the grant. And that moved it into the next phase. And then we put together a show based on uh, a book called Four White Horses in a Brass Band. And that was a account of a real medicine show. And then we used some of the material from that book in our show. We had uh, Steve and Patty Trias as musicians from the area, and then uh, Don Watson, and then Laura Perdue, an actress friend of mine, was in it as well. And so then we went around southeastern uh, Minnesota, and we actually were doing the whole. You know, a horse thing from town to town. That's where most people leave that part out, you know. So, no, we did it. Then we did, I told you earlier, we we finished with 36 shows at the uh, Minnesota State Fair. Mm -hmm. And that was really uh, beneficial for us financially as well as uh, experience. Because most professional actors, you know, they're doing nine shows a week. And we we had done theater in uh, university. It's not quite, the same thing so it worked out
0: all right elsewhere in this book I see that you um have run marathons yes there's a Uh, article here from the Duluth News Tribune from uh 1980 yeah uh you getting a drink of water after running grandma's marathon so tell me about your your running career quickly
1: well the the beauty of that was uh I, I wasn't running competitively but I was you know I I finished it and the uh I was with some other runners, and we—I knew the photographer had come over, and then we got the paper the next day, and they said. Uh, so I'm paging through there to find. Uh, you notice how the vanity fits in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm trying to figure out. Uh, so then I went, uh, well, I guess maybe. And then my wife says, oh, it's. <laughs> it's on the front page. <laughs> and I—I I think I ran away. I ran a decent time, maybe maybe three hours and thirty minutes or something, which is by modern standards, people think that's fast. But that's um, that's,
0: very, that's a very good time.
1: Yeah. So, but I I was trying to qualify for Boston at that time during my life, and and I ran a three oh four fifty two uh, up in uh, in the cities when they ran around Lake Calhoun and such, but I didn't make the cutoff. It was three hours at that time. So you ran a
0: three hundred four and didn't. Yeah, three hundred four fifty two. Oh, thank man. you very much. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, um, do you still run?
1: Uh, well, it's interesting that the Michael J. Fox Parkinson's crowd have ventured into the business of getting um, qualified. If you're a Parkinson's person. In other words, I would let them know I want to run New York City, which I've run. It's awesome race. But I uh, <laughs> started thinking about I don't know, you know, six hours because I'm not running now. I do some walking. But uh, so uh, that was interesting that they've got that component. Mm-hmm. So you know, who knows? I never know what'll happen next.
0: So and you've been a Renaissance performer. Yeah, I was Renaissance there Festival. Twelve years.
1: At the Renaissance, Tom Hendricks, former student of mine, was my partner. We we had four at that time. Mm-hmm. Then we split. It's just two of us doing it for reasons, really, revenue, because uh, we weren't making very much money for four. And uh, so yeah, I did that for a number of years. A lot of fun, great experience. Um, and you know, really, that experience I would. We would be sitting around on, uh, like, Saturday talking to someone, and they said say, well, yeah, I'm going to be a juggler, perhaps. Uh, we got a gig. We're going to be on Johnny Carson on Monday night. So <laughs> the level of performance, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was like, whoa. There were uh, lots of folks who uh, – That's great. Well, um, Penn and Teller worked that show and a number of others who, you know, see down the road. So but I, what I was looking for, Rob, in my phone here is uh, – because I know you're a sports guy. Uh, I was... uh, Back in 1971, I actually was at Muhammad Ali's training camp and met him and had my picture taken with him, and that's what I can't find in my phone right now, but that was quite the experience. And that was... uh, Anecdotally, that was... Uh, he was, he had two sparring partners. One might've been Larry Holmes. Larry Holmes wasn't, uh, famous at that time. And they were sparring with Ali and they were pounding on him. And I thought, oh, it's the end of an era for my, my hero, for my childhood. And then, uh, that was before the foreman fight. And mm. then he came back to, uh, beat foreman and it's pretty amazing. Yeah. Wow. And he was, um, uh, so intelligent and not given credit for it because the haters, and they're still here, they thought he wasn't very bright. And I still remember being in his log cabin, nobody else around, and there's a big machine in the corner. And I said, what is that? And what it was was a uh, videotape machine, early vintage, uh, with two-and-a-half-inch tapes or two-inch tapes, and that's what he had a box of films, and then he would watch fights, uh, huh. You know, the, it, yeah, his brilliance, I don't think it was ever really captured how bright he was and the whole part of it, because they wanted to play him into this fool from Kentucky, you know, so it still goes on today. So, yeah. And he was impacted because I read a lot about him. He was impacted by his, he didn't know about the whole lynching era, and that's what led in part to his uh, moving into a different belief system, uh, Islam. And and I don't think most of us realize what that would be like to stumble on that, yeah. the history of that, right? So
0: it still goes on today, I guess. My dad met him one time and got me an autograph, and then my mom thought she lost it. for 20 years. we thought it was lost, and then she found it in what is it? I, it's an autograph. From Ali really yeah, I don't know what's worth anything. it's on a little scrap of paper, it's tiny, <laughs> but I got it and i've got I've got several autographs from my my dad met people through his life that, yeah. through his work, but um that's the one that I you always, have it or did you get I it? I have it oh yeah, I don't know what's worth anything but i I've, I've got yeah. it at, at home right now and it's, Does it say Ali it says Muhammad ali
1: man yeah that's that's uh just set that up in a photo display with yeah, I don't know. <laughs> With him standing over Sonny Liston, you know, yeah. I've got, I've got that f- uh, photo in my uh, office. I always look at it for inspiration. You mm. know, the one where he looks like he's saying "Get up." You right. know, like, Oof. So,
0: well, is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh,
1: Otherwise, I think we can we can we can wrap it up here. Uh, I think I, I'm just really uh, humbled by the experience, and in my show, uh, the humor of Pat Ryan and Perkins is one of the early lines I have is, and it's not mine, but uh, I'm not much, but I'm all I think about. So I, <laughs> I, I try to live in that world of uh, trying to get a grip, you know. So um, no, I really think it's good. I've got um, other projects in mind and they just kind of lead from like a disease from one project to another and you just have to do the best I can. And All those people have helped along the way, so it's really great. So I want to thank you for the opportunity, and who knows, you know, we'll see what happens with these other projects.
0: It's it's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming in today, Pat. I appreciate it. Yeah,
1: thanks a lot. You're welcome. On Wisconsin.
0: Thank you. Go Badgers.
1: I think it's...